Amen. Amen. Good morning. At this time, our children are released to their classes. That way is K through 5. That way is, is uh, not 5 and under, toddlers and pre-K. I'll I tell you, we, worship was like really sweet. <laughs> the things we believe and knowing that God is with us. You know, we were singing that, and may his favor be upon you and your family and their children and their children. As I was singing that, I was thinking of my family. I was picturing my children. I was picturing my grandchildren and picturing their children and their children. I mean, isn't that what we want? I mean, don't we want God's favor on our family and on our children and their children? And I'll tell you, what we're going to talk about today is one way to absolutely ensure that God's favor will be upon your family and your children and their children and their children. I want to start off with some words today that Jesus used to conclude his, his most famous sermon. Uh, we know it as a Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, after teaching on such things as prayer, fasting, anger, hatred, murder, adultery, divorce, worry, judging others, turning the other cheek, going the second mile, forgiveness, treasure, giving, hypocrisy, loving one another, loving our enemies, caring for the needy, being the light of the world, being the salt of the earth, and about the wide and narrow road, after all these teachings, Jesus concludes with these words. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Question, are you and have you been building your life on the rock of Jesus' teaching? If so, I have some good news for you. Jesus says the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone, no exceptions, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Now, now raise your hand if you're building your house, if you would choose to build your house on sand. Anybody? Would anybody out here buy a house that was built on sand? Probably not, right? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense physically. Well, I tell you what, it does not make a whole lot of sense spiritually for us to choose to build our house on sand and to ignore the teachings of Jesus. He says, you know why? Because the rain's going to come, the streams are going to rise, and the winds are going to blow, and they're going to beat against your house, they're going to beat against your life, and it'll fall with a great crash. When Jesus finished saying these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Question, what if Jesus was serious? Like, what if he really meant what he said? That, that if we put his teachings into practice, that no matter what happens in this world, no matter what beats against your life, that you will stand firm. And, and what if he was serious that if we did not put his teaching into practice, that our house would fall with a great crash? Like, like what if he was serious? I just picked up a book this week. Actually, Amazon delivered it to me. <laughs> That's how we do it, I guess, today. And, and uh, 
I was at a meeting with the campus ministry at JMU, um, and um, Zach was talking about, he does the ministry there, about a book he's doing with the, the guys there. And it's called, What If Jesus Was Serious? And in the back of the book, it just says this. Compare Jesus' teaching to a quick survey of how Christians live, and one thing becomes apparent, we often ignore much of what he says. And then it says, if Christians began taking Jesus seriously, maybe the world would take Jesus more seriously. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We humbly come before you. I humbly come before you. And God, I pray your word, which is alive and active, will produce fruit. I I pray that we will listen alive and actively. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we get going, I just want to let you know that this morning I am speaking on behalf of God. I'm speaking on behalf of the sovereign king of the universe. And every Sunday, I pray that I feel the weight of that responsibility. And this morning, you need to be listening to God's word on behalf of God. These are not merely my words we'll be sharing, but they're God's. Now, sure, some mine are thrown in, especially the typos and stuff like that, but you know what I'm saying. And so we've been in this series called This Is, and the intent and the goal and the aim, the objective of the series is for us to hit reset in regards to who we're called to be and what we're called to do as people who claim to follow Jesus. And I think there's a lot of reasons, right? I got my little reset button. You like this? Reset! Reset! <laughs> I'm not well. If you're online, I'm just not. That's okay. There's radiation that submarine got to me eventually. But, and the reason we have to hit reset is because often we get distracted by life and by lesser things. And listen, everything is a lesser thing compared to Christ, his gospel, and his kingdom, and his church. Amen? And another reason I felt it was necessary to reset is because for the last 14 months, the enemy has used a virus to not only separate us from each other, but to separate us from our purpose, right? Our purpose, primary purpose in life is not to avoid COVID-19 or infect anybody else. Our purpose is the gospel, and it always will be the gospel, no matter what is going on in the world. So we hit reset. I started out with, hey, reset, this is me. To remind myself that, that I am to preach Christ, I'm to depend on Christ, and my aim is to take you to Christ. And then we did a message called, this is me. No, excuse me, this is you. We reminded you that like the sands to the hourglass I have right here, to remind you that you are just a mist and you are passing away. And if you're ever going to do the things that God wants you to do in this world, through you and in you, then you best get busy. Amen? I mean, it's running out. Like, everywhere I go, I see kids. And that hurts me deeply. I'll go, hey, you know, there's a third last couple kids. Like, they're 40 years old. How can a 40-year-old person be a kid? Well, when you're my age, 
Like, I told Lord the other day, I said, I, go, yeah. I said, man, I'm only nine years from being over 70. That is nuts. I know I don't look it. I'll give you time to calm down. Like, whoa, there's no way this dude is that old. He's like, he's, you know, the way. And, and then we, for a while, we've been talking about this is us, where we've been unpacking our, our vision, our mission. Our vision, following Christ in life-changing community, our mission like Jesus, we seek the lost, we make disciples, we show compassion. And this morning, we're going to begin looking at our core values, beginning with core value number one. And we have five core values, five uh, convictions, five non-negotiables that help anchor us and guide us as we try to move forward as a church. And listen, these core values are kind of like the operating system for us as Jesus followers accomplishing our mission. And if we, if we embrace and live out these core values, then we will accomplish our mission. If we kind of do so-so on those core values or ignore those core values or just have them be something hanging on a banner for you know, eight years or so, then the odds of you and I accomplishing our mission is not so good. And just as a defined and developed core is essential for a physical body, right, I mean, everything we do from sitting and standing and activities and sports and everyday tasks either originates from or moves through our core. Well, like matter, having a defined and developed core is essential for a strong church and fulfilling our mission because everything we do either originates from or flows through this core, through our values. And a weak core, an undeveloped core, or a wrongly developed core will lead a church to ineffectiveness and loss of mission. Get it? Good. The first core value is we honor biblical authority. And I cannot think of anything that you and I could put at the core of our spiritual life than honoring biblical authority. And here's what I want to do. I want to unpack our core value one word at a time, beginning not in order. <clears throat> I love allergies. It's allergies, and I'm, I'm, I'm good. Uh, isn't it crazy? If you sneeze out in public, you want to start shouting, unclean, unclean. You know? It's like, no, it's allergies, allergies. But, you know, I'm really okay. I don't have a fever. I'm good. I promise. Um, authority. It's something we need. It's something we often resent and seldom appreciate. I mean, how does the word authority make you feel? Like, when you first hear it, are your thoughts positive or negative? Well, it depends on which side of authority you're on, right? Here's a few definitions I found of authority on dictionary.com. Of the power or right to control, judge, or prohibit the actions of others. That sounds like fun. Um, The power to, oh, could you go back? Sorry. I love my slide people. I drive them crazy, but they're they're incredible. I'm surprised they don't quit. Uh, The power to enforce laws, exact obedience, command, and the power to determine or to judge. Again, it sounds like a lot of fun depending on which side of the equation you're on. Here's a couple of definitions I found in the Urban Dictionary. It's for people Smith with their own definitions. It's not always, you know, PG, but these are PG or less. Authority, of the man who wants to keep you down. Authority, a position of power over people. Most people criticize authority until they eventually come into power. Then they complain when they are criticized. And they gave a little, a little sentence. It's okay to fight everyone else's authority except mine. Authority to tell people what to do. Authority 
I love this one. What people hate and don't realize they can't live without because people are stupid. <laughs> I didn't submit that one, but I really like it. And, and, here, here's the, and here's the sentence they gave with that definition. Now that authority is gone, who will tell us what to do? <laughs> here's the bottom line, at least as far as I see it, that when it comes to authority, regardless of how we define it, we all know what it is whether it's at home, school, at work, on the highway, at a sporting event, or entering a building, having church services, et cetera, the last 14 months, we all know what it is to live under authority. And to be honest, sometimes we're not all that fond of authority, right? But listen, whether we choose to ignore authority does not mean that we're not still under authority. For example, does anybody know what this is? That is a camera on a stoplight. Now, if you knew this or not, but there are actually rules for those of us who drive on the roads. We're under someone's authority. And twice before they did the tunnel, one of these suckers at Rye Road got me. And, and, and I got to be honest, I was not feeling guilt. I knew I ran the red light. I was not even feeling guilty until about three weeks later <laughs> I got something in the mail um, that had a $120 fine and a link where I could watch the video. <laughs> and it's like, whoa! Like, dude, you weren't even close. And the lesson I took away from that is hit the gas harder next time. No, no it's not. But they still, they scare me to this day. It's like, there they are, ready to get you, right? Now, why do you think we have such a hard time submitting to authority? I, I want to suggest a few reasons. Number one, we are sons of Adam. I, I understand the first couple were lawbreakers. And ever since the fall in Genesis 3, the image, in God and, the image of God in us has been tainted, and we tend to rebel, right? I mean, which is easier for you to do, to, to always obey authority or to consistently push against authority, Right? Now, second read is, is pride. I think pride makes us struggle with authority. Because everyone has thinks or, or has thought at times that the people who are authority over us are just not as smart as we are, right? And if we were running the show, if we were doing things, things would be so much different, right? We're prideful and we don't like people telling us what to do. I think a third reason is basically for us the American DNA, Right? I mean, we're a country born of rebellion. If you don't believe me, go ask the British, right? They'll tell you, right? We're born of rebellion. Uh, I, I think another reason is we're on the other side of the 60s and 70s, the 19 style, right? Um, where the in thing was to rebel against the man, right? Rebel against the system, right? Until you became the system and the man, and then you don't want rebellion anymore. Uh, but the 60s and 70s were a time where people rebelled against authority, and those who did were actually looked up to. And I know it might sound crazy, but and I grew up in the 1970s, right? And I struggled with authority as a teenager, right? Because to me, you know what the highest authority was? To me, it was the three pounds of gray matter between my ears, right? You know, whatever I thought was right, whatever made sense to me, that was what was right. That was true, and I got to tell you, this led to countless run-ins with my parents, with employers, 
uh, with the teachers and administrations in my school, with uh, one or two police officers. Yeah. I have been handcuffed in my life, thrown on top of a squad car, and tossed into a literal paddy wagon before. I was innocent, you know, right? you know, but I was being a punk and, and got treated the way I should have been treated. And even in a courtroom, I, I stood up and argued with the judge, you know, because what he said, what, I was, he, he, it was about that arrest I had, and he, was, he wasn't there. He was saying things that weren't true and accurate, and I stood up in the courtroom. And I said, you weren't there. You're sitting in that robe, and you're going to tell me what happened to you? And my lawyer said, sit down. Fortunately, I was going in the military. They gave me six months unsupervised probation. Buy me coffee, I'll tell you more about that story. But you know how I got rid of my prom authority? It's called boot camp, right? And it didn't take long for me in Great Lake, Illinois, to realize that there was an authority in Company 209, and it was not me. And I'm so grateful that I learned the value of authority. Another reason is we live in a culture where civil obedience is praised and civil obedience is overlooked, right? I mean, when's the last time you saw a story? Hey, meet Joel. He works hard, he pays his taxes, and he loves his family, right? We don't know anything about Joel. I think another reason we struggle is because we've all seen or experienced authority being abused. Your parents were harsh, your teachers unfair, your church was full of legalism and rules made by men, your boss uh, was a tyrant and incompetent, and the final reason is we show authorities that we're just selfish people. You see, most of our rebellion is not about some noble cause. It really isn't. It's about two things. Number one, it's about us not having to do anything we don't want to do. But number two, it's about us getting to do anything that we want to do. It's not some noble cause like Martin Luther King Jr. took up. It's, hey, I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want you to tell me not to do what I want to be doing, Right? Here's my definition of authority. To be in charge. To determine what is right and what is wrong and how others must act and behave. To have the full power to correct, punish, and reward those who are under it. We honor biblical authority. Now we're going to unpack the word we. Not that we. (laughs) Okay. I thought I'd get at least more jokes than that. Not even a sympathy joke there. Okay, let me get my pen. Don't try the funny we joke again. It crashed and burned. Boom, it's gone. Nothing but ashes, right? But that we would be me, that we would be you, that we would be us. It would be the staff. It would be those at home. The we is us. Now, if you notice, but every one of our core values starts with the word we. We honor, <laughs> we. we honor biblical authority. We depend on God. We do life together. We engage our culture in relevant ways. We practice excellence and faithful stewardship. I understand, and I need you to really get this. Being a follower of Jesus is not about your own individual pursuit of spiritual growth. It's not about your own personal relationship with Jesus. Understand, that's not the way the Bible describes this life we have in Christ. The Bible does not describe your life in Christ as an independently operated franchise under the parent corporation called Jesus, right? That's not how it works. 
has said the New Testament says that you are part of a family. That you are part of a body. You're not independent. It's a together thing. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Some of us read this week. And our faith comes from hearing. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are baptized by one spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It will not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. It will not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that'd be freaky. (laughs) Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they're all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We're part of a body, right? Part of the same body. We all need each other. You can't say, you know what? I'm good. I I don't need anybody else. I can do this thing on my own. That's not what you signed up for. That's not what I signed up for. Following Jesus has always been a we thing. And always will be. You know, I, I need every part of my body working right for things to be okay. You know, some of you know I, I struggle with double vision. I have left fourth nerve palsy, right? So I, my eyes don't sync up. And I did something to my back like maybe two weeks ago. And you know what? My, I don't just say my back hurts. Like, I hurt, right? Like, how much is connected to your back? You know, like... Man, everything I do, right? I bend down, I cough, I sneeze, I move. It's like, wow, this really hurts. And so when a part of the body hurts, we hurt, right? When a part of the body's not doing its job, not functioning, then we're not functioning, right? We're kind of disabled in that way. You signed up for a we thing, and, and next we honor biblical authority. And honor in biblical authority means that we give it value, we submit to it, we follow it, we respect it, and we demonstrate by our response to it that we view it as something worthy of our obedience. Honor in biblical authority means that we give it value, we submit to it, we follow it, we respect it, and we demonstrate by our response that we view it as being worthy of our obedience. And let me be clear about something. You cannot separate honoring God from honoring his word. You just can't do it. I'll give you an example. In, in uh, 2, Kings, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 12, it follows right after 2 Kings chapter 11, right? And in 2, King, 2 Samuel chapter 11, and in 2 Cam, Sam, wow, my goodness. He's my I, I are, he's a communicator. I'm a communicating up here. All right. In 2 Kings chapter 12, we see 
David being called out by the prophet Nathan because in, I said kings again, didn't I? Or did I? I did. It's Samuel, okay? <laughs> y'all get it? Can y'all listen better? <laughs> it's your fault. Okay, but in 2 Samuel 11, David breaks like four commandments. He covets another man's wife, commandment number 10. He commits adultery with her, commandment number 7. He murders her husband, commandment number 6. And he covers it all up with huge lies, commandment number 9. And so God sends the prophet Nathan to him to confront him, and here's what he says to him. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? Right? Evil in whose eyes? In God's eyes. You know who gets determined what evil is? God does. Isaiah 5.20 says this. Woe to those who call Isaiah 5.20. It describes our culture tragically so well. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite as Bathsheba's husband with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me. And David's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. God, I don't despise you. I, I write like some, the top worship songs, right? I, I write all the top worship songs on iTunes. I don't despise you. I, I just kind of ignored some of your rules. <laughs> That's how it works, right? If I say, yeah, God, I don't despise you. I, I, there's just some things that I want to do that you say are wrong. And there's just some things that you want me to do that I'm not going to do, but I would never, never despise you. And God says, no, if you despise my word, if you disobey my word, you despise my word, and you therefore despise me. So you can't, we cannot say we honor God and dishonor his word. Get it? Good. And the final word is biblical. See, our core value is not to honor just any authority, but to honor, give value, submit to, follow, respect, demonstrate by a response that we see it as worthy of our obedience, the word of God. Now, what does it mean to honor biblical authority? It means to make the Bible and nothing else, not a philosophy, not a worldview, not another person, not a pastor, not another leader, not a teaching or tradition of, of men, not the wisdom of this age, not what we think, not we, what we feel, not what we want. It means to make the Bible and nothing else our highest authority. That's what it means. And it means that whenever we find ourselves disagreeing with the Bible, it's because we are wrong. We're wrong. We're going to do a little, a little skit. Not really, but it's a little repeat back thing. I think your line comes up on here, maybe. Hit the next slide. Did I, did I have one? No, maybe I don't. All right. Your line's going to be easy. And we are wrong. <laughs> on count of three, say, and we are wrong. Oh, you didn't even mean that. And we are wrong. Okay, I'll take what I can get. Okay. Whenever we find ourselves disagreeing with the Bible, the Bible is right. 
Whenever we find ourselves disagreeing with the Bible, the Bible is right and we are wrong. This time put the word I in there instead of we. It'd be a little bit harder. (laughs) And whenever I find myself disagreeing with the Bible, it's because the Bible is right and I am wrong. Amen. There's basically two views of the Bible that those who claim to follow Christ have. One is that we are over the Bible. That we're over the Bible. That we're over the Bible. If I don't like what the Bible says, I can ignore it. If I don't believe it, I can change it. If I find it inconvenient, I can alter it, explain it away. I can edit it. I can revise it. I can update and modernize it. And I can twist and reshape it because I am over the Bible. I have authority over the Bible. People have that view. Maybe they wouldn't express it that way, but the way they live their life does. And see, that's, that's like treating the Bible like it's a word about God and not a word from God. Treating it like it's just a, a bunch of opinions written by people rather than breathed by God. That's like treating the Bible like you would treat Netflix or an all-you-can-eat buffet. Right? That I'm going to watch only what I want to watch, and I'm only going to put on my plate the things that I want to put onto my plate. And listen, mankind has been this very thing have an authority over the Word of God from the very beginning. And I think inspired by Satan, the evil one, the serpent. Did God really say, did God really say that we can't eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden? Like, like I have a hard time believing that God would really kick us out of the garden just for eating a piece of fruit. I, I don't know if I can believe in a God that would do something like that. Did God really say? I, I can't imagine that God really cares about what I do with my sexual life, with my financial life, with my relational life. I mean, would God really not forgive me if I refuse to forgive other people? I, I don't know if I can believe a God that would do that. And we have that choice not to believe in him, but we choose to. And I think we're honest, we all have wrestled with some things that are in this book, right? You know, hey, I like this part, but I don't like this part. I obey this part, but uh, I, I, I don't want to even think about this part. April Grove is April the 18th, reset, this is us. And we honor, we obey we follow, we submit to the Word of God. And listen, like those who have gone before us during the last 2,000 years, we won't always get it right. We won't. And we're not always going to live it out perfectly. We won't. However, this is our goal. Reset, this is us. And this morning we are declaring we are writing in permanent marker we are sketching into stone we are making it perfectly clear that we are not over the bible but we are under the bible and our view and approach of the bible is not to treat the bible like netflix and an all-you-can-eat buffet picking and choosing what we'll watch or what we'll put onto our plate see to 
to reject some of it, to ignore some of it, to refuse to obey part of it, I believe in God's eyes is to reject all of it. And it's to despise not only what you're rejecting. David despised God's word about committing adultery. God said, you despise me. And I realize that today in our culture, in our society, in our country, making the Bible the ultimate authority is not popular. It's not politically correct. And it's not W-O-K-E, right? It's not woke. I used to like when woke was just something I did when my alarm went off, right? You know, every morning I woke up, right? I, I kind of liked it that way. It's sort of a good word. And I also realized that there are many people who claim to follow Jesus that have no attention, no intention whatsoever to live under the authority of this book, especially the parts they don't like, especially the parts they don't agree with, especially the parts that go against the way they want to live or the lies they believe from this world. And this mindset towards the Bible, it's not new. We didn't invent it, right? CNN didn't invent it. Fox News didn't invent it, right? Democrats didn't invent it. Republicans didn't invent it. It it existed when the church started. Paul sent this guy named Timothy to a church in Ephesus. Ephesus. It was a kind of a college town full of of, uh, unbelievers. And he gives him this warning and this charge. It was actually a charge I got when I graduated from Bible college. A good friend read it to me. In the presence of God and of Christ, Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. There's only one judgment that matters. It's Jesus, right? And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. He's not saying, hey, be prepared in the spring, in the winter, in the summer. (laughs) No. He's saying, be prepared, be prepared when people are going to like what you're going to say, and be prepared when they're not going to like what you're going to say. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction because we're all a bunch of boneheads, right? For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great multitude of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And, and, and what do engineers want to hear? They want to hear that what the Bible says is truly wrong is not wrong. That's what they want to hear. And guess what? All of our ears itch a little bit, don't they? Right? I mean, I mean we're, both, we're, we're so good at calling out everybody else's struggle, right? I mean, God's got really upset with those people. And we got our own issue that he's probably upset with too, right? And we won't be like, it's okay. Hey, you know, it, it's, it's okay. What you do with your body is your business. No, it's not. It's not just your business. It's the business of the one whose image you're made in. That's whose business it is. Don't just say it's your business. No, it's not just your business. You're creating the image of God. God gave you breath in your body. God's the reason your heart is beating. Don't say what I do is it's my body, my business. No, it's not. There's a God who we answer to. People want to hear that, hey, you can be a Christian and be lukewarm. It's okay. Hey, you don't have to really read your Bible. If you want to, you can. If you want to give the church, you can. If you want to share your faith, you can. Uh, you want to help the poor, you can, right? 
But you, you can be a Christian. You can get this insurance policy and live life any way you want, and God's going to be pleased with you and welcome you in heaven. We're all good. You know, people want to hear that, right? It's okay. It's okay if church is not that important to you. Just make sure you tithe and we'll leave you alone, right? Because, well, they're tithing, so we want to make them mad and call them to the table because they'll leave and then, you know, so you're good, you're good. We know you're living a wrong way, but we're not going to talk about it. See, that's what people want to hear. But what do people need to hear? What do I need to hear? We need to hear the truth. We need to hear God's word. This book is the word of God. And it's something we submit to. It's not something we get to revise and alter and update, modernize or edit. I mean, think about it. The sheer audacity of fallen, finite, fallible men and women trying to edit the perfect, infinite God. Hey, God, I know you're sovereign. I know you're a creator. I know you're all-knowing, but you got this one wrong. (laughs) You got this one wrong. Let me help you out here. Like, like I, I live in the 21st century in America. You kind of, things are different now, God. You got this one wrong. What audacity. Yeah, I'm not that smart, but I'm smart enough to know that doing that is not smart. See, see we're the authority of this book. This book, not any person. I'm not your authority. I'm not your authority. Not any movement. Uh, This book, not someone's opinion. This book, not Hollywood. This book, not the media. This book, not any political party. Is our highest authority. This book is over us. This book tells us how to handle conflict. This book is over how we respond when people hurt us. This book is over what we do with our finances, how we spend our money, how we spend our time. This book is is over how we treat other people, how we treat our husband, how we treat our wives, how we treat our parents, how we treat our kids, how we treat our friends, how we treat our neighbors, how we treat our coworkers, and how we treat our enemies. This book is over us. Now, what, what, like, and these are in order, like, that's the number one, and they are in specific order, right? And, and, and why is honor and biblical authority so important? I want to suggest three reasons, and they'll go rather fast. Number one, because we love Jesus. Because we love Jesus. Jesus said, anyone who loves me will wear a t-shirt, have a bumper sticker on their car, Go to church and lift their hands. Preach a sermon on Sundays, right? Yeah, I love Jesus. Don't you know I was in church preaching? Of course I love Jesus. Anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. My Father will love them. And he'll come to them and make, and we will make our home with them. He continues. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And, and here's the bottom line. I mean, we can, I mean there's, no, there's no seven seals and trumpets here, y'all. <laughs> you know, this is, there's no figurative language here. This is pretty straight up, right? If you obey Jesus, you what? You love Jesus. If you don't obey Jesus, you what? 
you don't love Jesus. And are there any areas in your life, in this room or at home, I mean, where in effect you're saying, hey, I don't love you, Jesus. I love this more than you. I love this attitude more than you. I love this behavior more than you. Because we love Jesus. Because the word is inspired by God and useful. Two scriptures are credible. All scripture is God-breathed. Theanustas, theanustas, breathed by God, theanustas, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, not just other people but ourselves, and training in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything God wants us to do, we want to be equipped. The equipping comes from the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. True, right? And, and, and if you've been leaning in like I've been leaning in this morning, and as I worked on this, then you, you understand that God's Word is sharp. Because maybe you felt the edge of that blade this morning as you heard some truth or thought about some things in your life that are not in line with what God has called you to be. And maybe some of his word is penetrated. You're like, you know what? It's judging my thoughts and my intentions, man. I got to change. I got to be different. Because we love Jesus, because it's useful and inspired by God, and because ignoring its authority is very costly, and living under its authority brings power and blessing. See, there are consequences for holding on to bitterness. There are consequences for stepping out God's design for sexuality. There are consequences for choosing to build our lives on sand rather than on the rock of Jesus' teachings. And there are benefits to living under the authority of God's word. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. How happy is a man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates it meditates on it day and night. I love this picture. He is like a tree planted by strings of water. It's not worry about droughts that bears fruit in its seasons, whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Because he's living under the benefit of God's word. And then we have this verse here in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Has your soul ever been refreshed by this book? Oh, my goodness. And how tragic, how much refreshing we miss when we don't spend our time in it. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. That's good, because I'm pretty simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Now we can see where we're going. Now we can see what we're supposed to do. Now we can see how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to respond. Jesus said in the garden, John 17, sanctify them by the truth. Make them more like you by the truth. Your word is truth. 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built the house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And here's the deal. Every one of us in this room and online are building a house, are building a life. And we're either building it on the rock of God's teachings or we're building it on sand. What are you building your life on? Not what do you want to be building your life on? Not what you know you should be building your life on. But, but what are you, what am I really building our lives on? Is it on the rock or is it on sand? And how will living under the authority of God's word affect us? It, it'll affect us in ways that we cannot even imagine. I mean, we will never be the same again. Each day anew, each day anew, and change and change and change. You see, honor and biblical authority will take us on a journey to places we have never been. The truths we've never embraced. A journey that will require courage, submission, and humility. Courage, submission, and humility. Why? Because as you and I come under the authority of this book, we will find that we may have, or in fact we are, doing some things wrong. We're we're believing some things wrong. I mean, our three pounds of gray matter between our ears, we're saying, hey, this is right. This is how I should be doing. This is what I should be leaving. This is how I should be behaving. And I kind of like believing this. It's kind of worked out okay for me. But now I see what this book says. And that requires humility, doesn't it? man, I've been living wrong. I've been believing wrong. And I come under the authority of this book, the Word of God, because I love Jesus. Because it is inspired by God and it is useful so that I'm equipped for everything God wants me to do. And, And because if I ignore what's in this book, there are consequences. But if I embrace what's in this book, though imperfectly, We will get things wrong. We will always get things wrong, individually and as a church. But if if our goal, right, is to live under this book, then we will prosper like a tree planted by streams of living water. A few quick things, and then we're gonna we're we're gonna be done. And that's like a real done, and like like a minute done, a Steve minute maybe. No, uh, I want you to know that that right now, whether you acknowledge or not or want to, just like when I was driving down 29, I was under the authority of the law, whether I acknowledge it or not. And I want you to know that right now you are under the authority of the Word of God. If you are, if you've not surrendered to Jesus, you're under the authority of the Word of God. And the Word of God says that you're lost because of your sins. 
but also says that God loved you enough that he sent his son to die for you. And Jesus provided a perfect sacrifice so, to pay your debt of sin so that you can be right with him. And your response to God is you, you believe that, you repent of being your own boss, and you say, God, I want you to be my Lord and guide my life. And then you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. If you've never done that, I hope you consider that because you're under that authority right now whether you want to acknowledge it or not. And if you're here this morning, you're a Jesus follower, you know, like most of us are, you know, you're under the authority of this entire book. Are you holding the grudge? Are you refusing to forgive somebody? Are you cursing your enemies rather than loving your enemies and praying for them? Are you sharing what you have with the needy and the poor? Right? You know, you're under that authority whether you acknowledge it or not. But I tell you, like I said in the beginning, um, we sang that song. May your favor be upon me. On your family and your children and your children. I'll tell you, God's favor, I, I guarantee it. I stand under the authority of the word of God. I'm not saying your life's going to be perfect. Every day's a trip to Disneyland. Well, to me, that's not even fun, right? Every day's a trip to the beach, you know? Disney's like, man, sweating in lines, waiting an hour where your kid's screaming, right? You know, uh, uh, but maybe Disney's your place, right? But it, it, it is incredible what we have in God, you know, and the things that, that God wants to do in and through our lives. And if we trust him and if we give our lives to him. And, and so... If you want God's favor, I guarantee you, based on the authority of the word of God, that you will have God's favor when you honor his word. And if your children and their children honor his word, right? I mean, God gave us this word to help us become who we're meant to be. What if God's word is serious, right? And what if we debate it and see, we can see what happens? I'm going to pray. God, we love you. And God, your word is true. And Lord, this, this verse in scripture, I forgot to read, all people are like the grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass dies and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord, God, your word endures forever. Holy Spirit, I pray you move in each of us because there's not a person in this room, myself most definitely included, that does not have something wrong. That does not somehow think that I'm the exception to your word, that you're okay with me kind of getting off track here and I'm still good with you. God, help me to know that that's not how it works. And Father, help us to be a community, a we community, become a family and the body that you want us to be. Forgive us for the many ways that we fall short. And God, all we really desire individually, collectively, is to have sweet communion with you. And God, as we sing the song, preparing to take of the Lord's Supper, God, God, I pray that, that right now that we are just ret returning to you, returning to that sweet fellowship, returning to your word that is life. In Jesus' name, amen.